Hello, I'm Niall Brown, and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. Graham Greene is an actor who has had an illustrious career. The Canadian performer first broke into the public consciousness with his Academy Award-nominated turn in Kevin Costner's masterpiece, Dances with Wolves. He then went on to have key roles in such diverse films as Michael Apted's Thunderheart, John McTiernan's Die Hard with a Vengeance, Richard Donner's Maverick, and a host of others. It was a pleasure to have Graham join the podcast to talk about his role in the serial killer thriller A Dark Foe. A man of immense wit and charm, he discussed how he won his part in Dances with Wolves, what it's like going to the Oscars, and the passing of the late Richard Donner. I'm a huge fan of Graham Greene's work, and I could have talked with him all day. I really hope that you enjoy listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. Well, thank you for joining me today, Graham. But thank you. Um, I'm a huge fan of your work going back years, so it really is a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be anywhere. Well, that's it, yes, especially at the minute. Yeah. Um, so we'll get down to A Dark Foe. Um, sort of re- reading about the film, you the role was written, your role was written specifically for you. I don't know if it was written specifically for me or not, but uh, they approached me with it. And uh, I said, I read it and went, oh, wow, this is really incredible. The story is uh, extremely strange. I'd I'd love to do this. So I talked to my agent. He goes, I don't know if you want to get into that whole slasher genre. And I said, oh, oh, yes, I do. And it's fun. And uh, we had a ball. It was a lot of, it was very, very hard work, hard work on everyone. But uh, we managed to get through and, and uh, a lot of night shooting. And, you know, you'd be seeing double trying to figure out what you, and I wear glasses. So in the semi-darkness, it's like, where am I going here? <laughs> am I going to trip? Am I going to bang into something? Am I going to knock things over? Oh, it was wild. But it's, it's a very anyway, yeah, anyway, we, we got it done, and it was, uh, it was, it, the whole place we shot in, a lot of the things, it was, it was really creepy. We were down in, uh, in L.A. someplace, and uh, in the basement of this warehouse, and there was a room full of caskets in the back, and I was like, what the heck is going on here? It was just, it lent to it, it lent to the, uh, the spookiness of it all. But it, it was a, a wonderful situation to be in to really bring something out of you. Yeah, because it's not just a normal, like you said, sort of slasher serial killer film. And without getting into too many details about your character and plot, your, your motivations aren't your normal serial killer movie character motivations. What, what was that like and how did that come about? Uh, I don't know if it was, it was not my, a lot of it was my motivation on doing this, the way that uh, we went through it all and there's just one thing led to another and it got heavier and heavier and heavier as we went along shooting it. And uh, the, the genre, as far as that con- I'm concerned, was something I've never ventured into before. And it was, 
it was a lot of fun. It's like swimming too far from the dock when you get out there, you go, oh, oh. <laughs> or jumping off the dock with the garden hose in your mouth trying to breathe. <laughs> but um, I mean, it, it's a very dark film, um, but there, there is humor to it. And your character has a lot of heart and his motivations, he's doing it for all the right reasons from his perspective, isn't he? Um, he's doing it, well, yeah, but he doesn't get things right. He's, he, uh, he has an inkling of what should be done, but he doesn't do it correctly. Let's put it that way. He goes through the action of it, but it's all to save his, well, I can say this, it's all to save his daughter. And uh, he's doing it through the auspices of a ceremony and uh, he screws that up too, so. <laughs> But there, there, there is some humor in it. I try to put as uh, humor into a lot of stuff that I do. And uh, at some point, there was just no humor in this. And I got, no, you got to lighten this up a little bit somehow. You know, just people don't want to get hammered over the head like for all that time and not have that vent they can, you know, let off a laugh or two. But we managed to get through it. Well, what, when you try to interject the humor into that, your your leading man in the film, he's one of the writers. Your director's one of the writers, yes. And yeah. their father and daughter. How does that work when you're trying to tweak things to suit your character? Were they open to that? Was there a bit of push and pull? Oh, you know, they were definitely open to it because it was written in Venezuela. From nice. somebody from Venezuela wrote it. Uh, Maria and Oscar are from Venezuela, and they had to translate it, and it, it, it brought here. And some of the syntax was not that good. And uh, by the way, uh, Oscar is Maria's father. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't know that for about a week. And I said, you know, your daughter, she's going to make a great. She's. I said, your wife's going to make a great, great director someday. And she, he said, my wife doesn't direct. And I said, well, who's that? He says, Layla? That's my daughter. And I went, you're kidding. My God, that's how young he looks, you know. Yeah. I said, what do you do? What do you do? Sleep in the fridge? Look at you. Look how young you look. But... Uh, I, I got the freedom to go ahead and do a lot of stuff that was quite amazing. And Maria, she, good bless her soul, she'd come running in at the last minute just before they call roll and says, Graham, could you, uh, I want you to do this. And I said, I was going to. We didn't rehearse it, we're just shooting it. A lot of times we didn't rehearse, I just, let's just shoot it or shoot the rehearsal. Don't, don't worry, don't worry about it. Something that, good yeah. Is that something you find easier now when people are working with, with digital rather than film, that you have that flexibility to keep rolling and, and doing different things? Yeah, you could do that with, with this one. I'm, a lot of films I work in, I uh, always say, just let's shoot, let's shoot the rehearsal. And they said, well, the camera hasn't seen it. And I said, well, we haven't seen the camera do anything either. They might get lucky. And do something, catch something, something may happen that's magic, which you'll never get to see 
I might take all day to set that up, but it happens just right there in front of your face. We were, I was working on one and uh, this guy, I was playing a poltergeist of all things, sitting on the couch in my bathroom. I show up and this guy's talking into a camera that's set up and this gust of wind comes through the room and this piece of paper blows up and lands right on his face. And he just calmly reached up and pulled it off. And the director, he let the scene go and he goes, okay, let's do that again. And I said, no, print that one because you're never going to get that again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the other actor was great. He, he, he just went along with it. And, uh, he didn't stop and go, oh, no, that's, uh, he did just, you know, just move along with it because that is essentially uh, the lifeblood of a film is, is what's the reality of it. If you do too many takes, it just spoils it. I worked with directors who come running up and saying, no, you do it like this. And uh, some point in my career, I just said, well, here, here's my jacket. I'll take my pants off. You can put all my costume on and you show me how to do it. You do it. I'm hired to do a character that you hired me to do. So let me do my stuff and don't interfere with it. Don't interfere with people. Let them, let them make the magic. So that's without saying Without using too many swear words, I I, I got my message across. You, it's it's worked for me. Do you like to do a lot of takes, or is it like you've just said, where if you feel you've got it, that you done for that particular scene, or are you willing to experiment a bit more? Oh, well, if you think you could do something better, yeah, that's fine. You always go. Can we do one more? Just one more. There's something I need to do in this that I just didn't address here. And usually they'll let it go and, and let you do it. If the director said, sure, you can do it better. The late uh, Richard Donner I worked with in a film called Maverick. And yes. Uh, Mel Gibson and myself, we went to set and we're standing there and we chit chatted, blah, blah, blah. And he said, looks at us and he goes, what's those? I said, oh, there's our scripts. And he said, let me see them. And he grabbed them and he threw them at William Goldman's feet. He goes, now, now go act. And everybody's looking at one another going, what, the, what, do you, what do you want us to do? And he says, act, your actors act. What, well, what, 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 do you want us to follow the script? Oh, no, never mind about that. Just, just, just act. Well, give us, give us a scenario on what you want to see here. All right, uh, this, 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 this. And so we just hammered it out and, and um, ad-lib that whole Joseph and Maverick thing. It was all ad-lib. We never looked at it. We never had a script to look at. That's the way I like to work sometimes. And that's one of the best sequences in Maverick. Just, just it's one of the sort of the, the, the more humorous and, and heartfelt moments of the film. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. And I uh, it. yeah, and in fact, I, I interviewed Richard Donner just a couple of years ago, and he was just a man who who, who seemed to love life and love filmmaking. What was your experience like with him, sort of a, apart from that? The same. He was uh, he was always curious about what's going on and stuff, and he never 
he'd get on the set, he'd never leave mentally or physically. He didn't sit around, he didn't stare off into space. He just, he was there. He was always there in the middle of that film. He was the heartbeat of it. And uh, God, I miss working with him. He was one of a kind. Yeah, and nothing, no one had a bad word to say about him. You know, the outpouring of sort of respect for him was just phenomenal. Yeah. And he's like, he was that kind of, he was that kind of a guy. Everybody, you know, you fall in love with him immediately as soon as you talk to him. No, and again, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. So it's always great when you meet people that they hold up to what you hope they, they will be. So it's always nice to, to know that and that you had a great working relationship with him as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good because we talk about everything but the film. <laughs> talk about everything about what we're what what we're doing in front of the camera. You go, oh, never mind that. Don't worry about it. You'll get it. <laughs> well, he trusted me enough that I could trust him, and uh, we just went and do it. And I trusted Melvin. I trusted. Uh, um, James Garner, of course, and, and Jody, I trusted. She was very there. I never, never got to work with her, but just uh, that whole scene where everybody's all together was just bang, 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 bang. It was nailed shut, tight, closed, turn the camera off, let's go. You know, we were done. And another iconic movie that you did, which is one of my favorite films of all time, and you're probably sick of talking about it, but it is Dances with Wolves. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That was, I had, I lost, uh, let's see, I went from 215 pounds and I, from running 10 miles a day and exercising and sauning and whatnot, I went down to, the lowest I weighed was 168 pounds. Nice. That's significant. And plus learning the language. I didn't had no idea what I was saying, none at all. All I know is when somebody quit talking, I started, whether it was my turn or not, I don't care. And it took three months to learn the language, just studying like six to eight hours a day, seven days a week with, with a coach if you ran into trouble with something. And I had the tape. I think I wore the tape out <laughs> of the of the translations, and you learn so much. And uh, it's, it was like a really nice education. And how did that rule come about? I mean, Kevin Costner—that was his first film as director. He pumped yeah. a lot of his own money into it. How did it come your way, and what was the audition process like for that? Uh, the late Elizabeth Lustig. She was a casting director on it. And she came to Toronto to watch us work on a, on a play that I was in. Then asked if I wanted to go up to Los Angeles and audition for this new movie, Dances with Wolves. And I said, sure, why not? So I flew to LA and I was there with a, a woman who I'd been married to at least 20 times, Tantu Cardinal, the great Tantu Cardinal. I bow down. She's wonderful to work with, but uh, we, uh, he said, do you actually speak this language? And I said, I have no idea what it, I, I can't even pronounce any of the words. 
let alone that. And he says, well, I, I want to do it in the Sioux language. And I said, fair enough. It's set, set in that time. And uh, you're the stranger. You're the interloper. Uh, we're, you're coming into our territory. So I don't see it's necessary for us to speak in English. So uh, he looked around and he he wasn't going to cast me right away because he said I didn't look native enough. I mean, I don't know what brush cut and all that. But... And so the women who were on the film, the uh, wardrobe lady and a few other people, Elizabeth Lustig, they all plotted against him. And they drew up, Elsa drew up a sketch of me my face in the costume and showed it to him and badgered him and Elizabeth Lustig badgered him and finally he went, all right, all right, all right, get him, let's go. So the next thing you know, I was down in LA, uh, not in LA, but uh, Pierre, South Dakota, that's where we went and, and shot the film there. And the rest they say is history. And you, you get an Academy Award nomination out of it. What was that like? Oh, it was like opening the biggest present on Christmas Day and finding out it's something to wear. <laughs> <laughs> At my age, that's pretty good. But uh, yeah, I, there was word that uh, the people at Orion said, you're, you're, gonna, you're probably going to get a nomination out of this. I said, ah, I don't think so doesn't matter to me, I don't care. And my name came up and I went, oh, I got nominated for an Oscar, whoop-de-doo. It, it didn't excite me, it didn't do anything. We just, my wife found out and uh, she went and brought a new frock, of course. And all the seamstress, the whole, the whole wardrobe department at the National Arts Center in Ottawa got together and they sewed, they adjusted this dress for her. Just, she looked amazing in it. And uh, Valentina was going to give me one of these tuxedos to wear. And I said, no, I already got one, don't worry about it. <laughs> it was free, what a simpleton, you know. But uh, it just didn't faze me that much, except I got to sit behind Sophia Loren and Carlo Conti. <laughs> Carlo Conti, Carlo, that's bad. But uh, that was exciting. And just seeing everybody going, oh, okay, they don't look much different in their own television. They're looking at me like, he doesn't look much different than he does on screen. And it's people, people that you see in two dimensions. There they are, sitting in a chair or a seat like 10 feet from you. It was, that was the buzz. The buzz after was going to uh, the governor's ball. You're corralled into it. My wife and I, we were going to go back to the hotel and just kick our shoes off and have something to eat, good bed. But uh, these guys, they corralled us, these big bouncer type guys. They said, come on, you're coming this way. And I said, no, we're, we're going back to the hotel. No, you're not. The governor's ball is mandatory. <laughs> so we went in there and uh, just hung around. We were the only ones sitting at the table we were assigned to because we didn't know anybody. <laughs> it was hilarious.
And then obviously that has a massive knock-on effect to your career. What's it like once you've been nominated? Do the, the parts, they obviously get better, the roles get bigger. How, how, does, how does that feel? Well, you get more offers. There's sort of a, there's a, a, the rumor is if you win an Oscar, you don't work much anymore because they figure, well, you've come to the end of the road and uh, you've got an Oscar, get out of the way. This nomination guy, you know, he's good or else he wouldn't be there. He, he, you know, I've got more work out of that, more mileage out of having a nomination than I did anything else. And most most actors will tell you the same thing. And another great movie that you did shortly after that was Thunderheart. That that was another sort of powerful film. Thunderheart, Thunderheart. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We did that in South Dakota as well. And Michael Apted, the director, came up to uh, Ottawa where I was working in a play up there, and he. Uh, asked if I wanted to be in this thing called Thunderheart. It was written by now a good friend of mine, John Fusco, who is a, who's a writer and a musician. He lives in Vermont now. I've been after him to write another script, just as long as I don't have to ride anything. <laughs> at the motorcycle. Does it have legs or wheels on it? I don't want to know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's about it. And just sort of kind of to wrap up now, um, A Dark Foe's taking you on a bit of a, a, a dark tangent where you're playing, you know, a serial killer. Is this a new, a new avenue that you can go down, a, a sort of a, a horror icon possibly or something like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was interesting. I've never done a script like that before. Wow, I'm glad. I it got the the actor's curiosity. It's like dangling a a string with a feather on it in front of a cat. <laughs> I gotta go and do this. You must do this. <laughs> and you get drawn into it. Next thing you know, you're standing on set covered in blood, going, This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. Uh, uh, no, it was one of those things. I, I'm I'm open to do a lot of different things and uh, stuff. I played a god. I played uh, the archangel Gabriel. I played a judge. I played police officers, uh, lawyers, doctors. I just didn't want to get pigeonholed into the guy who has the long hair who doesn't say anything all the time. You know? And and what's next for you? Oh, I, uh, you, nowadays everybody's signing what's called an NDA. Right. Non, uh, I don't even know what it stands for anymore. Disclosure agreement, yeah. Yeah, yeah, non-disclosure agreement. It means you can't say, they, I was doing a film and they said, can you shave? And I said, no, I need it for this role. Let's continue, it's coming up. Oh, what's it for? I said, I can't tell you. The director said, why not? I said, I had to sign an NDA just like I had to sign one with you. <laughs> so I didn't share. So you, I didn't you, tell them. Hmm? You, you, you keep giving as good as you get then? When, once, once you have to sign those, you just you keep quiet for everything then? Is that what it's like? Yeah. If you get, if you get the flick, yeah, you, you got to 
it seems like you're signing them. I remember when I first started in a business, there was one piece of flimsy paper that you signed. Then it became three pieces, one you keep, one they get, and one the Russians, one they destroy so the Russians won't get it. And, uh, then it became a stack of paper. Then you had to have a lawyer. Then you had to have an accountant will look at it. And this is getting out of control here. You know. Crossing the border, you have to have one, maybe six different kinds of documents that you need rather than just getting on a plane and going down there to work. Because of uh, my native background, I, have, uh, I can work on both sides of the border right. because of the only treaty that they've never broken, the Jay Treaty. And that allows me to work in the States and Canada as well. And I got my social, social security number in 1969. Right now he's working in a carpet warehouse in Rochester, New York. And uh, I got into the Screen Actors Guild when I did uh, uh, Dances with Wolves. And the rest, they say, is uh, basically history. Now with COVID-19, holy moly. It's, it's like being tunneling under the Berlin Wall to get out of here. I think that's the same for everyone, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It'll go, it'll go away eventually. If people would just pay attention to what's going on around them, it'd be all right. You know? Yeah, fingers crossed. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm going to be down in LA for the... Uh, opening in Q&A for uh, A Dark Full next weekend. Well, I hope it goes well for you. And I, I thought you were absolutely brilliant, as you always are. And thank you. It's an absolute joy. And I, I truly mean that to talk with you. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do it. So it's, thank you very much for your time, Graham. Thank you, sir. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts, and I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time, and I'll see you at the movies.